Welcome to Southern Fried Spooky, the podcast that's home to all things Southern and spooky. <laughs> not so fried, though. Probably not. Food references may be unfortunate today, because mm. our t- topic is dark decor, mm. featuring bugs, bones, and vulture, vulture culture. culture. Yep. In fact, we really recommend that if you're listening to this during dinner, maybe, maybe just don't. Yeah, so maybe, maybe wait. Because if you do, bless your heart, I warned y'all. Yep. Well, I'm Heather, your Carolina girl. And I'm Tony, your Florida man. So, Tony, do you remember back in the 80s or 90s or so, there was this t-shirt floating around that looks like it comes from a restaurant, but it's called the Roadkill Cafe? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I remember those. And it had, like, a nauseating menu on it. Yeah, centerline bovine. Yeah, like that. Yeah, smidgen of pigeon. uh, It was a joke shirt, at least. You know, it didn't really... Out of luck, duck. It definitely grosses me out. Rigor mortis tortoise! Okay, by the way, I'm famously squeamish. Smear of deer? Yours is no longer a speaking part, at least for now. I also remember way back hearing a story on NPR around the time this show Dirty Jobs was just starting, mm-hmm. and Micro was talking about the job of picking up dead animals off the road. Micro, yep. And apparently that's, like, actually a job, or other duties as needed yep, of an no, existing it's, job. It's, it's actually a job. But I remember, according to that story, if no one picked up the carcasses, the roads would be impassable. In as little as, like, a week, I think he said. absolutely. But there are people, special weirdos that they are, uh, who'll stop and pick up dead animals off the side of the road to use the bones in art and decor. And what's wrong with that? Eh, Nothing, I think, but it can be controversial. I I think some people, we would say muggles or normies, (laughs) probably not our listening audience, would find this distasteful, possibly gross. Yeah. It depends on the point in putrefaction for me. <laughs> Others think it's a lovely way to recycle and uh, use what nature has given us. And I think it's human nature to make art, wouldn't you say? I would. You I are would. an artist. Yeah. Now, granted, this does not mean killing animals. We are not... No, no, no. no, no. We're not into, like, poachers or anything no, like that. No, I, I don't condone violence towards animals in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Absolutely not. So, it's just using what can be found out in the wild. Yeah. So the found things are definitely fair game. All of this is going to bring us to our artist today, Mm -hmm. Jessie Cody. She was a student at the college I worked at, and that's where I met her, but we have some creepy artist friends in common. I've seen her work at craft shows and markets, and I have now several pieces on my walls. Absolutely. And her work is called Looking Glass Insects. She's also a pretty avid member of vulture culture. She likes picking up dead animals. Yeah. Though what she puts out at the her shows where she does her exhibits and whatnot are the moths, the butterflies, large bugs and beetles. They stay pretty even after they're dead. Oh yeah, well. But she makes them out of you know, she makes shadow boxes to put around them out of cigar boxes mm-hmm. and uh, sort of paper wallpapers, I guess, with uh, pages from disused books. So, without further ado, let's say hello to Jesse Cody of Looking Glass Insects. All right, so question the first. Every introvert's nightmare. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, my name is Jesse, as it was so evidently produced before. <laughs> um, uh, and it's still weird to say it, but I am an artist based in Colombia, one of the, the few weirdos kind of hiding in the corners of little southern Colombia. And I went to Columbia College, where I technically originally met you, but we kind of missed each other while I was actually there. I was yeah. hidden away in the basement. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Students and faculty just don't know. You know. Now keep in mind, I was in Florida for all of this, so I don't know. Yeah, you missed out. <laughs> yeah. So sorry. I think you got the raw end of the deal because Florida's way more moist than South Carolina. <laughs> Ooh, she said everyone's favorite word. Florida? <laughs> moist. Oh. 
<laughs> so how did Looking Glass Insects come about? So after I got out of school, majoring in art may not have been the best idea. In That's college. okay. I was a French major, so I get you. <laughs> you know, follow your dreams, except you know when you actually have to get a job. Yeah, it's like a photography degree. It's just okay. <laughs> it's fine until you have bills. <laughs> I, I would never give up my college experience for anything because I've Same. met some of the best people in my life, and I really did learn a lot. Just because it didn't necessarily like lead to a really lucrative career per se, doesn't mean it wasn't worth the time but um well said so i <laughs> so i ended up uh working this uh weird little job out in eastover um i worked at a paper mill that was basically yeah oh god i hate the smell of those <laughs> like there's one on the florida georgia line oh god song reference but anyway um <laughs> when you come like you know when you get there you hit it you're just like oh god yeah, oh, it's what? That, <laughs> that weird combination of like spicy sausage and butthole yeah it really is it really is <laughs> Okay, that's not what comes to mind when I smell it, but okay. No, you own. can say it, ass. It smells <laughs> I'm, like ass. I'm I found out what that smell is because we were always really wondering. There's like entire lakes of chemicals that are in the plant oh. that are being used to produce all different kinds of uh, so paper and everything. So we're smelling pollution. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. And you know, maybe I'm wrong. That's just what I was told because I had to drive by those lakes every now and again. But anyway. Anyway. So I'm working out in Eastover and in the paper mills, basically like in the middle of nowhere, is there's this entire area that's just not really populated by people who live there. There's a few people, but it's not like Columbia, where just every square inch there's somebody living there or there's a business. <laughs> it was paying the bills. It wasn't that far from home. And... I was working at night at some point. I got put on third shift, which I did not hate. And but <laughs> graveyard shift for creepy people. Precisely. Well, see, the whole plant is surrounded by woods, and they're constantly bringing in more wood. And with more wood comes more bugs. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So when I started working at night in, I guess, bug season, I had the only light in the area, and the bugs would start to congregate and eventually die. And there were tons of species I'd never seen before, and it just kind of forgot about work while I was at work <laughs> and just started looking for bugs. <laughs> and it all just started with, I want to know what this bug is. So I just spent hours and hours at work when I had the time just researching the bugs that I was finding. And eventually I was like, what am I going to do with these things? And so I started teaching myself how to pin and preserve them. And it all just kind of went from there. So even though my college my college career did not necessarily at that point lead to a lucrative career, and I just ended up getting this like weird off the beaten path. I don't even, I don't want to know how, I don't know how to describe it, just whatever job. You have a side calling that is an interesting hobby. <laughs> this job may have been one of the best things to have happened to me at this point because it led to <laughs> this project that I'm really, really excited and passionate about and have not lost interest in in the last, what, eight years? That's impressive for an artist. Right? So how do you preserve your insects? I've, I've never actually done that, so I don't know if you just leave them in the sun, or is there a process I mean, do, they, do they really need to be preserved? I need to preface this with I'm still not a professional, I'm still learning, and I'm still adding new things to the process, but essentially there's really not much to be done. If the bug is already flexible, say a moth or a butterfly, I can open the wings, then the joints aren't stiff, so I won't break them. Um, I was going to ask, yeah, I guess rigor mortis happens to yeah. bugs too. <laughs> rigor mortis happens to everything, including trees. Oh, weird. Yes. Well, at that point, once the bug is hardened, it's not like rigor mortis or eventually they'll let loose again. It's They're done. Because oh. everything is inside, everything's dried out. Yeah. But yeah, if they're not dried out yet, I can just pin them in the position that I want them to be. I've made my own spreading boards, and then just leave them for a little while to dry on their own. And eventually, once they're dry, I take the pins out, and boom, there they are. Now, I'm curious about something. Now, I've seen these... Um 
I've seen like the, the shadow boxes with the bugs in them and stuff like that, especially like dragonfly wings. They're so fragile when they... Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you can coat them in, like nail polish or anything that will keep them like that, but kind of harden them or... You have to strengthen them up? Yeah. I don't do anything like that. I think there are a few artists who do, but they do very various different things where they'll put something in epoxy or they'll put something in a, almost a laminate to make jewelry or something out of them. But generally in the displays where they're in a closed case... They, I don't do anything with them, and I don't. I don't know specifically anybody else who does. Um, you really can't do it with like moths or butterflies because the scales that are on their wings will deteriorate, yeah. or they'll be affected by whatever chemical you put on them. Even if you get, just get them wet, it well, affects them. They they look like they're covered in powder anyway. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what it is. Okay. Um, it feels like a powder because the scales are so small, but they will. There's oh. so much oil on your hands and. Everything can rub that stuff off, but if you put any kind of chemical on it, it's just going to wreck them. Wait, so what you're saying is, anytime I've ever been like, I'm going to save this moth, and picked it up, I was actually hurting it in the process? I don't think you were hurting it if the scales are just coming off on your hand a little bit. (laughs) Because it happens naturally. They're going to incur... during their lifespan, they're going to tatter their wings. They're going to hit tree branches, hit, you know, screen doors, yeah. fight each other. Yeah. <laughs> Things like that. A lot of wild found insects, especially moths, are often very, very damaged because they have such a violent life, I suppose. <laughs> One wouldn't think that a moth would have a violent life. <laughs> In nature, everything has a violent life. Well, Agreed. Mother Nature is a serial killer, so... <laughs> Nice way to put that. I mean, she's mean. Now, there is one thing um, that you can do with insect displays to kind of help protect them. Because there are dead bodies, they're at risk of being infested with mites or any kind of, you know, little parasitic bug that'll eat them. So what a lot of people do is they'll put, like, little little boxes of mothballs in, like, the bottom corner of their insect displays. Oh, I don't have those readily available, so I don't, I don't always do that. Generally, if they're in a closed box, if they're encased with glass or wood, they're good. As long as you keep, for me, you have to keep them out of the sun because I don't have UV glass to protect them. Because mm-hmm. the sun will bleach the color. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. I found that out when I destroyed three lunamods. Oh, no. Aww. That was painful. Oh, <laughs> For you or them. Yes. Oh. Okay, so do you remember, I know this is something of... Sometimes this is a thing you do, where I called you up to come get a pink and black moth, the like of which I had never seen before, but he was on a wall at the college, and I was like, Jesse, you gotta get, like, I took a picture and I sent it to you, and I think you drove all the way to get this moth. I did, I did, I remember that, and that is so cool looking. That is not an isolated incident. (laughs) I'm sure not, I'm sure not. At this point, I have cultivated this identity of the bug lady, at the very least amongst my friends, (laughs) and I've gotten a little bit a little bit more prolific, at least in like the, the middle of Columbia, with doing a diff- some shows with Yalmar and shows with like Curiosity Coffee and the Rosewood Arts and Music Festival, things like that. I'm sorry, you said coffee. Curiosity sorry. Coffee? Yeah, no, you, you said coffee, so that piqued my interest. <laughs> he doesn't have blood, he just runs on coffee. Yeah. There's too much blood in my coffee stream. <laughs> and, and there is way too much blood in my caffeine system right now. Exactly. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, what sort of shows do you exhibit and vend at? And you just gave us a nice rattling off. Well, tell us about the next couple ones coming up. Yalmart? Yes. Yalmart is the next one in Columbia that's coming up. Kind of backtrack a little bit. There's sure. been there's been a larger event. There's been a larger market that's been going um, on in South Carolina as a state, and it's actually started to move out of the state a little bit, too. Um, called, it was originally called the SC Punk Flea Market, and it not long ago became the SE Punk Flea Market, so it went from South Carolina to Southeast, because oh, cool. they ventured out of South Carolina and went to like Georgia and recently Virginia, and I think they're also planning Florida. 
Now, what what do they do? What is what is a punk market? So the punk flea market essentially is an alternative uh, flea market. So you you have your your usual like vendor events, mm-hmm. uh, artisan markets, yeah. craft fairs, and things like that. And you see, you know, your typical what's popular right now. And forgive the call out, but a lot of grandma stuff. Not <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Grandma stuff and all the stuff on Pinterest and things you can make with a cricket. Exactly. Yeah. And you know that's that's perfectly fine for the people that enjoy that, and the, especially in South Carolina. Even if you're nowhere near the beach, tons of people really like beach decor. Mm-hmm. Like and they, monograms. Yeah. <laughs> For want, some reason, yeah. I want my bug monogram, please. <laughs> but, but the whole concept of, of a punk flea market is to be an alternative market that's kind of a counterculture haven for, okay. for weirdos, essentially. So you Us! Have, yeah, awesome! Exactly! We are, we are the exact demographic. Ooh. Um, but you'll have um, vintage clothing people, you'll have vintage record people, you'll have you know various weirdo artists of <laughs> all shapes and sizes. There's a little bit of overlap with between you know oddities and nerddom, things like that. So we have the SC Punk Flea Market that's been going on for a couple of years now, and they've gone to Charleston, Greenville. Recently they came to Columbia for the first time. That was kind of all that was going on, at least in the readily available informative sphere. Yalmart was actually the answer to the Punk Flea Market because it hadn't been to Columbia yet. So they had, for the first time, two shows um, last year at the New Brooklyn Tavern. Fantastic. Which is already kind of a popular place amongst, you know, the counterculture <laughs> So when's your next show? My next show is actually not this weekend, but the coming weekend, which is another punk flea market in Greenville. Um, and then there will be another Yalmart event in the following weekend. So I'm going to be busy. So if people are interested, they need to Google these because we don't, we didn't think to bring the dates, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> well, I have my calendar. Give me one quick second. So the next SE Punk Flea Market is going to be in Greenville the weekend of the 19th and the 20th. So again, not this weekend, but the following weekend. And this is March 19th and 20th, 2022, if you're somehow listening five years from now. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And then the following weekend, Yalmart is significantly smaller and shorter, but it'll be the 27th of March at the New Brooklyn Tavern from noon to four. Fantastic. Awesome. Totally going to try to check that out if we are not exhausted from our Disney trip. So we have talked a lot about the bugs and finding of them and how you do them. I suppose we should talk about the rest of the box, the shadow box that you do. They're made of cigar boxes that you find? Yes. So tell us a little bit about that. <clears throat> so in case it wasn't evident, I have a bit of a scavenging problem. I've always had a <laughs> I've always had a propensity for collecting things. Um, and it's just kind of evolved as to what my fixation has been as I've grown up. And at some point, for some reason, it became cigar boxes. And this is before the bugs. Um, there was a cigar shop on Main Street right across the street from Taps, which at some point I worked at. That at some um, point. cigar boxes are just so useful and interesting, and they are cool. Such potential for storage, and they're all, <laughs> all these different, des- all these different designs and shapes. And they're just really interesting. And I didn't even smoke cigars at the time, so I'm not sure. <laughs> I can't, I can't tell how many cigar boxes I've had in my life. Oh my god! <laughs> like, how did this happen? Where did they even? come from at some point it, that problem started so <laughs> i have a problem i just had i just had a bunch of cigar boxes in my house compulsively collecting art supplies exactly. <laughs> it's a problem it it is. to be a scavenger and an artist it creates a big big mess is it scavenge is it scavenging or is it salvaging yes okay <laughs> that's a good way to look. probably <laughs> depends on what part of the you know what stage of the artwork she's Precisely. at yeah. yes. Um, but yeah, so I already had a whole bunch of cigar boxes. Some of them were in use, some of them weren't. They were just pretty. <laughs> um, so when I was when I started collecting these bugs and I was figuring out how to protect them and how to preserve them and eventually how to display them, I was like, well, how can I frame them? What can I do with them? And then I was like, boom, 
I immediately thought of the cigar boxes because they're already kind of a perfect shadow box. They are. They're readily available. They're all different shapes and sizes, and they're you know, generally, if you go to the right places, they're not that expensive. That's true. I was also just like not excited, and I don't mean to insult anybody. I was just not excited about the idea of just putting them in a plain frame. Yeah. So I mean, I get that. It's it's kind of just I don't know. It just seems really normal. Not normal to put them in a <laughs> yeah. frame. It's just like I don't know for some reason. And, and I hate using this term, but it just seems so vanilla. Well, okay, let's just say that putting bugs in the glass enclosure is pretty, yeah. and Jessie is just kind of over the top. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah. You're, I was she's say, extra. Yeah. She, you're, you're extra. <laughs> My general explanation is I just can't leave well enough alone. Oh, well. well, because it's not only just the cigar boxes. You've also um, started, or I, I guess you maybe all along, you wallpaper the back of the box with pages from books. Yes, and that was actually kind of a problem-solving situation that just turned out really well as well. Because I was like, oh yes, the boxes will be excellent to just use as a, a shadow box. But what about the background? Well, I gotta put something in the background. Absolutely. Well, what about book pages? Because I have I, I have books that you know you never really look in them. Once you're done reading them, you might go to them for reference. But there's all these books out there that are just filled with really cool illustrations or just interesting information just why not put that on display as well and i know there are people out there who aside from they might be very concerned about the bugs we hope they didn't die unnaturally but you know there's going to be someone out there going she's tearing up books honestly i've gotten a lot more and not it hasn't been a lot but i've gotten a (laughs) lot more flack i at least in the beginning about the books than i did the bugs so it's so it's not only just a fear of being canceled by the bug version of PETA, but also (laughs) every library ever (laughs) so where do you find the books um the books i literally and i'm going to use this word again because it is the best description of me i scavenge through thrift stores and secondhand stores and there's this really awesome thing at a store on uh, harbison called second and charles oh yeah they have a free bin outside oh yeah so the thing with second and charles is you it's like a pawn shop and a bookstore and a nerd store it's a whole bunch of stuff but you can take collectibles and books in that they will buy from you and give you a little bit of money or give you a store credit or whatever if there's anything they don't want they give it back to you and if you just don't want to haul it home there's a free bin you can dump it in outside yeah I found some good stuff in there. <laughs> well, I know the ones I've got, because I have, oh, I don't know, like five or six of your pieces. <laughs> you know, the backgrounds have, like, anatomical sketches. One was, looked like it was an article from with an illustration of spring Jack. Yeah. I've got one that's a Mary Shelley bio in the background. Which is awesome. Yeah, just really cool pieces from, I don't know, I mean, maybe the books were damaged or something. Well, it's like every time I walk down the hallway, I see the one with the cicadas in it, and I just kind of uh, yeah. stop and stare at it. <laughs> <laughs> and I do like cicadas. I love them. A lot of people ask me, like, oh, well, how do you decide what books you're going to use? I'm like, I kind of don't. Or how do you decide what bug is going to go with what book page? I don't. <laughs> you just have to decide this looks cool with this box, and then this bug clearly wants to be there. Exactly. As cliche and, you know, pompous as it might sound, <laughs> I really just let the pieces speak to me. They, I, no, I mean, they dictate to me what's going to happen. As an artist, I completely understand what you're saying. Not to, you know, get off point here, but there have been a couple of pieces that I've been that I've tried to draw that I just couldn't finish. It was just like I can't like I felt like I was hurting the drawing in some way by finishing mm-hmm. it, so I was just like, I'm I'm done. The drawing has decided it is finished. Yeah, yeah. So we've known each other for a little while now, and I know one of the other things you do. So anyone who wants to know 
you're forced to listen to this, so I guess you have to know. When Jessie came here, she was not alone. She brought a little box with a head in it, the <laughs> skull of a cat of mine that is passed on last year, sadly. So I have been told, because you already told me about your scavenging and hoarding problem, that it does extend past bugs. It also goes to things that have bones, <laughs> vertebrates and whatnot. <laughs> Accurate, for sure. Accurate, for sure. At some um, point, Jesse informed me this is called vulture culture. Yes. So tell us about that. What is vulture culture? We must define our terms, of course. I should, probably should have looked up like the actual like Google definition of vulture <laughs> culture. It's a feeling, though. No. Oh, okay. um, vulture culture is essentially, um, you know, it sounds kind of weird, but like just kind of just scavenging dead things. Um, and not necessarily just scavenging, but the people who are involved with collecting, scavenging, processing, making, selling dead things that have a, a love and affinity for it that's beyond like, oh my god, this is so gross, but... <laughs> There's actually an actual appreciation for the process of what happens when something dies and um, appreciating it in a more demonstrative way. So would you consider uh, taxidermy vulture culture? Absolutely. Okay, It's cool. like the quintessential, I, I would think it's one of the most quintessential vulture culture because it's it's still very mainstream. Okay. The taxidermy, because if you're, you know, you're a southern good old boy hunter, you definitely do taxidermy, but... yeah. Oh, yeah, somebody but has a few heads. <laughs> exactly, but that same person might not be interested in, like, you know, you know, my bugs or, like, a diophanized specimen or anything like that, any kind of, like, medical specimens, just specifically deer heads. Yeah. But taxidermy just kind of covers a whole bunch of bases. I, I don't get paid by this group, but there is a website <laughs> called badtaxidermy.com. It is yes. the most amazing thing ever. I'm just going to plug it for a moment. <laughs> it so, is pretty funny. I love that It is kind of wonderful. But back to your stuff. <laughs> um, it wow. Just, okay. So vulture culture to me sounds like it is um, a very death positive kind of process. Mm-hmm. And you know, too many people are like afraid of the whole idea. Mm-hmm. What would you say, since you probably hear this more than I do, what is the biggest pushback or reaction you get from people? Is it beyond more than just, ew, gross? Or <laughs> I get it. Ew, that's grody. I should specify that in my experience, generally vulture culture also is referring specifically to like animals, wildlife, not really people. Well, granted. I think that's kind that's of... That's a whole that's, new that's show. A different thing. Yeah. That's a different thing. We'll, we'll cover that one later. <laughs> yeah, well, no, there, there's later. a whole bunch of other controversies involved in that side of the, the hobby and the community. Yeah. But um, as far as, like, I don't know, you know, people who aren't involved in vulture culture or have the interest in dead things the way us weirdos do, the pushback is really just, ew, that's gross. And, and I can totally why are you ob- Why are you obsessed with... <laughs> Why are you obsessed with death? Why do you want to think about death? Why do you like dead things? Da, 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 da. I'm like, I mean, why not? <laughs> I do love your finished product, but uh, as I probably have mentioned before, I am fantastically squeamish. So, <laughs> you know, I would ask for updates on, on Diesel, my cat, and I would get some description, and I'd be like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> I don't need to know anymore. <laughs> my apologies. Well, oh, no, no, you're fine. It was sort of amusing. Going, going back to the people being like, ew, oh, God, I can't believe you use bones and stuff like that. Uh, natives, indigenous people have been doing that for years mm-hmm. and years and years, using bones and hides and, I mean, tallow and everything. Every part of the buffalo. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean they use everything. So, I think I mean, most people, you know, globally in older times would have done that. I mean, it's like, yeah. you know, any sort of tribe back in the day, anywhere, even Europe, would do that. Yeah. I think the def- I, 
I may have brought that up before, but I think the defense against that would be like, well, that's for survival, and that's for, you know, because they're using it for something. You're just putting it on display in your living room. Yeah, and? <laughs> well, it's giving that creature I'm not throwing another... it away. Well, yeah. I mean, it would just sort of disintegrate into nothing eventually mm-hmm. if you didn't I mean, dress like, it up in some Yeah, fashion. like with, with, with hides, you'd have to tan them with bones. You'd have mm-hmm. to bleach them and, you know, put the... I mean, with my cat, it's definitely a thing of, it's a keepsake. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I wasn't going to cremate him. That's kind of expensive, and, I, you know, I didn't want to keep him as he was, but his skull is so kind of strangely cute, and it's a good memento, I feel. Memento Murray. Yeah. I think a lot of the disconnect happens for a lot of people that don't think about this regularly is death in a practical sense. If something, like, imagine old corsets had whale bones. Imagine oh, yeah. a lot of yeah. anything with, like, gelatin has animal parts. Mm-hmm. You know, things Glue. like that. Yeah. yeah. You know, Before about, veganism was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> if it's, if you're thinking about it in a sense of, like, we're using this for practicality, like, it's fine. We're, it's, it's It makes sense. But if you're just putting it on display and you're, you know... You're, or the frivolity glorif- of art. <laughs> glorifying and you're, you know, a mockery out of death almost. Like, you're... It's weird. I don't People are weird. I disagree entirely and sometimes I find it hard to defend because it's like, I just appreciate it. I, I can't really explain why. I just do. Why do you like Christmas lights? I mean, what do you want from me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somebody, ew, it's so gross that you play with bones and stuff. Yeah, well, you like feet, so, you know, we're not even going to talk about this anymore. Sometimes you worry me. Yeah. I think it's kind of off topic, but it comes to mind every now and again, the idea of what's acceptable in Western society and what's weird in another society. Yeah. People will talk about how very Various indigenous tribes over in Africa or Asia or whatever will do strange body modifications, like wherever it is, neck lengthening mm-hmm. and scarification. They say, oh my god, that's so weird. Why do people do that? That's so primitive. Well, over here we have Brazilian butt lifts and <laughs> breast implants, yeah. brow lifts, you know, all kinds of plastic surgery, but that's acceptable in Western culture, so it's not weird. Oh, yeah. Good point. So, okay, I'm kind of curious. At what point did you find yourself become, would, it be, would you call it becoming a vulture? Like, I just try to envision, like, eight-year-old Jesse looking at the neighbor's dog going, how sick is it? (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, that wouldn't be the only... I I would be surprised how often I hear things like that. People are always like, oh my god, serial killer. Jeffrey Dahmer. Norman Bates. That's the worst one, because he was a taxidermist. (laughs) Well, again, practicality. (laughs) I know, right? Saves money, It's totally fine for a hunter to display their kill while it holds the gun they use, but I'm weird. It's fine. I'm the weirdo. You're um, the one who's like, ooh, pretty butterfly, I'm going to preserve it and keep it pretty. Then you have, <laughs> you know, Jim Bob out there going, look, I shot him with my forty five and I killed him. I remember being small and thinking, like, when I saw, like, a cover of a Hunter magazine, a dude with his eight-year-old son holding up the dead body of a deer that they just shot, thinking, that was so grotesque, and why would you do that? And I appreciate it a little bit more now. It was still weird at the time, though. So I still think about that and wonder why people look at me funny. I suppose, to be clear, though, you don't ever kill anything. You just use the body as you, or the carcass, I guess, as you have found it. (laughs) The remains. The remains. to, To answer the question you actually asked, though... Um, Did I, I ask a question? I think I, I mean, I've always, guess, been a vulture, if we want to say it like that. It's just as I've gotten older, I've, I've expanded, I've learned more, kind of found my community and figured it out a little bit better. Because I think vulture culture really expands further than just, you know, bones. A lot of people, I think it started, we collected rocks when we were smaller, looking for crystals, and then seashells. Because seashells still count, because that is technically part of a dead body. Yeah, that is true. Good point. I, I really liked bugs when valid. I was a kid, I just didn't keep them. <laughs> <laughs> and as I got, I think that the bugs, 
finding the bugs at the mill was a real gateway because I started and I got online and I learned a lot more and it just kind of bloomed from there. Because I, I used to collect things like that all the time, you know, seashells, rocks, at some point, uh, like robin egg shells. Mm-hmm. So you had like a mason jar of just mm-hmm. cool things. Ah, yeah. Pine cones, for some reason, were a big deal when I was small. Well, they're kind of cool. Love pine cones. <laughs> and if you want to get weird about it, technically everything we have that is made of wood is vulture culture. Because, I mean, we're essentially mm-hmm. using a dead creature to build our things. If you want to look at it like I do, but... Yeah, but you're like a Lord of the Rings fan. There's probably an ant in there somehow. I remember my mom used to press flowers a lot. I think that might count. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool. I think that's, that's very much in the, you know, the vanilla outskirts of vulture culture. Yeah, it's definitely the let's keep it because it's pretty very much so. oh yeah okay dare i ask and maybe i don't want to know so i may just like go off for this one what is the process of going from dead creature to bone again i am not a professional i'm still figuring it out and i definitely deal way more with bugs than bones i don't i don't really do business with the bones i keep them for myself yeah so they're really that really is kind of mm-hmm. a non-money making hobby oh absolutely they're just Really, for me, or maybe for you, for my friends, obviously. Yeah, for friends. You, you have friends to admit, though, putting like a skull and a couple of bones on in one of your shadow mm-hmm. boxes with the pages behind would look pretty awesome. That would probably look really cool. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, that's true uh, um, I, there was a lot of trial and error in the beginning that was way more error than anything else yeah I was going to ask were there mistakes oh absolutely Lots did you mistakes. blow things up Probably almost oh, oh dear. <laughs> so uh, my sort of father-in-law did a little bit of hunting so I got information from him when I started trying to figure out how to process skulls myself which his recommendation was boiling and bleach which are absolutely not what you're supposed to do <laughs> those are two of the worst things you can do well, I mean, when we did the deer head in Florida, me and my cousin, the only thing we did was we took the deer head, mm-hmm. put it on the ground near an app mound, and mm-hmm. then covered it with like one of the like the old washing bins. Which is absolutely one of the easiest ways you can and do it. And the ants did everything absolutely. for us. You have to make sure it's covered because if you're trying this, squirrels will eat the the antlers or mm-hmm. the, the the horns of whatever you're yeah. dealing with. And larger animals will come and steal the whole damn yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's it's crazy. Uh, well, I tried the boiling thing, and that was kind of successful one time, but ultimately it was just not a great great way to do it. And then I tried the burying thing, and I just was too impatient for that. And I <laughs> um, uh, animals still managed to dig it up and steal it from me. So mm-hmm. so then I moved on to the maceration, which is um, submerging whatever you're trying to process in water and Hopefully it's hot enough. If you're doing it in the winter, you might need a heater. But yeah, just kind of leaving it there until all of the meat and flesh has just kind of rotted off in the water. It sounds like the worst it's soup disgusting. ever. <laughs> it's absolutely disgusting. But it produces the best results, in my opinion, thus far. Because not only does it clean the bone off really well, yeah, you have to worry about the smell. You have to yeah. the smell oh, after like the fact. Vapor rub and, and oh, clothespins. It is it's something else. Oh, yeah, I could not do that. But um, it leaves the bone, as far as color, clean mm-hmm. for the most part. I do my best. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes there are weird discolorations within the bone that I well, can't that do. could have just been the animal. I mean, yeah, it could have been the animal. You never yeah. know, right? But um, it leaves the bone cleanest as far as getting flesh off and clean in color. Because if you were to leave it just in the dirt with the ants, they will absolutely clean the flesh off. But the bone will yeah. have this aged antique brown patina yeah. that you then have to clear out the color somehow. Um, bleaching, again, don't do that it disintegrates the bone oh um but hydrogen peroxide is awesome Mm -hmm. but the lighter it already is the less you have to use and this kids is why you use peroxide when you're trying to dye your hair blonde (laughs) yes i tried that can't relate 
I actually, like when my hair was longer, I actually dipped the tips in hydrogen peroxide, went tip. out in the sun, just the tip. Oh <laughs> I dipped it in peroxide. I swear it was so light because I was blonde <laughs> anyway, so it was almost white. It's like, oh, that actually works. Okay. I fail to see how you are half native and blonde, but whatever. What's the other half? Viking, apparently. <laughs> Irish. Ah, uh, okay. So out of curiosity, what is, I don't know how you qualify this, but what is the oddest thing you've ever processed? Honestly, as far as, as animals and not insects, um, we're not going to argue about whether or not insects are animals. You know what I'm getting at? Absolutely. <laughs> I haven't done a lot of weird stuff. Maybe weird for Columbia. <laughs> um, I feel like I'm just not as advanced as a lot of people who are like deep in the community. But for what I've done, maybe the weirdest thing that I've processed myself might have been... I really like tails. Strangely, there's a lot of animals with really weird tails. So I, <laughs> I, I, I found an entire armadillo once that I was almost... I really consider just getting the whole thing taxidermied, but at some point his, uh, his uh, carapace was broken. Mm. So I decided to just keep parts of him. So I processed his skull, kept his skull, and then I mummified his tail. I love that. I thought that was really cool. And then I also found a snapping turtle that was hit by a car at some point, and mm -hmm. I processed her tail. Aww. But the cool thing about this, and this might be really weird and morbid, but that's my life. <laughs> morbid? Oh my god. How Again, do you ever deal with that? I, I don't know. <laughs> Trying to find the, you know, appreciation in a, in a tragic situation. She got hit by a car whilst crossing the street to go lay her eggs, I think. Aww. Oh no! Because when I picked her up, she was in the road, and I picked her up by the tail and swung her out of the road so I could get to the other side in the grass and deal with her, and eggs came flying out. Aww. I thought they were ping pong balls. I was very confused. I and then I, once I figured out, ever. once yeah. I figured out what they were, I was just like, "Oh my god, that's amazing!" Yeah. So I, I collected what had fallen out, and I took all of her home instead of just like taking a piece and going. And I just it sounds <laughs> weird. I had to like kind of dig through inside to well, get what yeah. was left. Yeah. So there were fully formed eggs. There were a couple that weren't quite there yet, Aww. and uh, I have the majority of them in a little jar in my Aww. house. That's kind of cool. There wasn't much processing that had to happen there, but just like happening upon them was really cool. So the armadillo and the snapping turtle, respectively, in their various parts, I think, are the weirdest and coolest that I've well, done. In Florida, snapping turtles, like we have alligator snappers, <gasps> and those things get up upwards of 75 Scary. pounds, and mm -hmm. they are brutal. Like, they, if they bite you, they mm -hmm. will take oh, yeah. a limb. It, it, is, it is ridiculous. Um, I think she, from, not including her tail, just from like head to the back of her shell, she was probably, I want to say, like 14 inches long. Wow. Wow. She was okay. really big. Yeah. And in Florida, we have armadillos, and we just refer to those as armored rats. <laughs> I always thought they were like, you know, tactical possums. The, uh, tactical possums work. Yeah. Armadillos yeah. are one of my favorite animals. What, the armadillo? The yeah. armadillo? Yeah. Yeah. Armadur <laughs> armadillos! <laughs> <laughs> but the new creature, oh dear. So I just had this horrible thought of anyone riding in the car with you could at any moment be forced to partake of your activities as you swerve <laughs> off the road and go, look! It's happened. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Dead bug! Oh, I gotta get it's, it! <laughs> it's happened with my boyfriend it's happened with my best friend and it's happened with my sister oh wow and they all had various levels of involvement oh my boyfriend has zero involvement and that's okay my best friend minor involvement and my sister is a fucking champion <laughs> <laughs> so there was a situation several years ago we I, there's usually like a really good place to like pull over and grab something in this particular situation that was not there was a beaver <laughs> 
on an overpass. Oh no! On an overpass. It wasn't like an interstate or anything. It's it a populated area, but not not a great place. There was nowhere good to pull over. We had to park very far away, <laughs> no. and then walk on the funky little sidewalk that's next to the overpass and drag this dead body with all these in cars driving by. <laughs> And beavers are heavy. Yeah, they don't. I mean, he I was guess a, get closer. He to was the size of a medium dog, if not a large dog. And uh, I'd like to take this opportunity to, to apologize to our Canadian listeners. She did not kill the beaver. It was unfortunately hit by. Yeah. Yeah. So um, someone else did. I have never picked up something that I hit because I don't hit things. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Yeah. At least you're careful. I yeah. try so hard. Yeah. So I had originally asked if you could ha- personally have the skull of any animal in the world, what would it be? And you said, eh, you pretty much have all of those already. On your wish list of things, of any vulture culture or bug things, what's on your wish list? What would you want? Um, I don't know if I have... I have a wish list of various things that I like, and I don't... I have read, there have been a few uh, dream skulls that I have acquired, but I'm sure there will be a new one at some point. <laughs> I do want a Chinese water deer skull because it's basically a deer with like great big fangs. Oh, that one! Mm-hmm. I think that I actually, cool. I think I have seen one of those on Bad Taxidermy, and it was labeled <laughs> Vlad the Impala. <laughs> <laughs> um, right now, uh, there's a couple of things on my wish list that are still on my wish list because I kind of compulsively get things when I really, really like them. Um, <laughs> so you don't I wish just, for long, you just make it happen. Kind of. They're on my wish list because they're very expensive. Oh, okay. Um, I really want a giant isopod, um, which is literally a giant sea roly-poly. Roly poly. Yeah, it's a pill, they're, they're giant <laughs> roly-poly. They're so cool. They look like little aliens. <laughs> And I love them so much. A lot of bugs really do. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and, and when she said giant, she's not joking. They oh, yeah. Are, they are huge. Like, they're eaten in some places. Yeah. They're a meal. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Roly-polies that weigh upwards of five and six pounds. Yep. Yes. Like I note how we are audio recording, and they are both gesturing with, It was big! <laughs> <laughs> it's a southern thing, okay? promise um, <laughs> I know I want a giant isopod. I, I really also very lo- very much love stingrays. I call them sea flap flap. <laughs> the majestic sea flap flap. Yes. They are cool. Is there much? Well, are they... I was about to say, it is doesn't, there much to them? I it doesn't seem like they'll be a lot. They're actually really interesting. So I actually have two stingray specimens, but I really want a stingray skeleton. Do they have skeletons? They have... I thought they were cartilage. Well, no, no, no. no. I mean, they, they, have, they, have, bones for they sure. have bones. They do have bones? Yes. Yeah. And they have a lot of tiny little bones. They just kind Ooh. of spread all throughout their body. And they're, mm-hmm. That's cool. The skeleton looks insane. I love it. I'll have to um, show you one. It, it is crazy looking. Right now, I have a mummified stingray that was a gift to me from one of my best friends for Christmas. Someone who oh. clearly gets you. Yeah. It's on my wall. <laughs> and at some point after, I had one of my most successful shows last year, I think. And to treat myself, because I so often don't, um, bought a diaphanized stingray for myself from somebody I met in one of the uh, oddities groups online. Ooh. Oh, wow. And a diaphanized specimen is essentially, it's put through a chemical process that you remove the skin, you remove the organs. I'm sorry, not the skin. Yes, I haven't done it. Um, <laughs> it's very, very in-depth. In um, but you remove the organs, I think you remove the skin. And it's put through a chemical process where the muscles and the skin and whatever flesh is still there is made translucent. Ooh. And then the bones and the cartilage within are put through another chemical process where they are dyed. So it looks like you have this like technicolor x-ray specimen, mm-hmm. essentially. That sounds really it cool. Is. It is. Very cool. cool. Yeah. Very expensive. 
Yeah, no doubt. It well, I mean, the process involved. seems mm-hmm. like it'd be a lot. Too. Oh, yeah. yeah. So often people have things like frogs and mm-hmm. mice and it, sometimes yeah, because, snakes. Uh, when in high school, mm-hmm. they were we they didn't want us to cut one open, so they right. brought one in and just showed us. Yes. Like the bone structure of a frog and everything. I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever yeah. seen. Um, I have a question. Yes. We, and now everyone else, knows that you are into vulture culture. How does your boyfriend deal with this? Is he into it? Or is he just one of those like, uh, you do you, babe? <laughs> Very much the latter. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he's, he and I do not share the interest in vulture culture or morbid antiquity or anything like oh, that. Oh, okay. Um, he is my fluffy-haired golden retriever boyfriend. Okay. My gamer. He's a sweetheart. He very. He, so it's a mixed marriage of absolutely. muggle and weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> There's this running joke online that like every alternative girl has a golden retriever boyfriend. I'm like, damn it, if I don't fit that stereotype. <laughs> I'm in this picture and I'm not happy about it. <laughs> I feel attacked right now. Next time, just yeah. at me, okay? <laughs> <laughs> He's not into any of it, but he is very supportive of me. So you, he doesn't you, mind that you have decorated the house with all of your goodies. Not at all. Oh, he cool. hasn't. I, I checked with him every step of the way when we moved and I started decorating I'm like are you okay with this is this okay I don't want you to feel left out I don't want you to think you're not allowed in this room or this is all just mine he's like babe whatever you want I don't care <laughs> he's got his room where he plays his games and he hangs out with his rabbit he's good everything else is like <laughs> under my control so he's a gamer <laughs> yes I'm gonna have to meet him <laughs> <laughs> he's very much into video games and D&D and all that stuff oh yeah I'm totally gonna have to meet this oh, guy oh yeah he's the best hang out <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> well thank you so much Jesse I'm sure we could keep going for hours and oh, hours, yeah. hours. Oh, really? but I think we'll give you a break for now. We'll just do an episode two. Absolutely. Hey, I just have a follow-up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, following up is fine with me. <laughs> if I could ever get the recording equipment to work properly. <laughs> well, it's been an adventure and it's a learning experience, but thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, friends, we've come to the end of this particular moment of weirdness. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us for our second episode, Bugs, Bones, and Vulture Culture. We'd really like to thank Jesse Cody of Looking Glass Insects for joining us and enlightening us. Or in darkening us? Uh, sure, about her work, <laughs> her art, and where you can find it. Mm-hmm. As well as opening a little portal into the world of vulture culture. And, by the way, you can eat now. Bon appetit! <laughs> oh, so uh, next week we're going to be in Orlando for our annual Walt Disney trip. Yes, I think it's about time Florida Man gets his own chance to talk about his home state. <laughs> yeah. And Disney has its fair share, you know, its dark side. Of course. Then, you know, we can share it with them. Absolutely. So we'll definitely hope you'll join us for a listen. Mm -hmm. So until next time, we're Southern Fried Spooky, the podcast of all things Southern and spooky. We've been your Carolina girl, Heather. And your Florida man, Tony. Yeah, and by the way, it's Game of Thrones, not Lord of the Rings. I'm so sorry I got the wrong, really long story with too many characters. Oh, what? I... What?